good morning. Uh, it's me again. Good to see you. And uh, I'll be uh, sharing with you this morning. I'm really, really excited as we uh, continue our conversation on how to read the Bible. And last week, Justin did a great job launching us off into this conversation, uh, exploring the first part of when we approach the Bible, how we let it penetrate our hearts. Uh, uh, Tim Mackey, the Bible Project, he says that the Bible is uh, Jewish meditation literature. Uh, and it really is. It's meant to be meditated on. It's meant to be chewed and wrestled with. And he did a great job talking about that. I get to talk about this morning uh, how to read the Bible using your mind. We're talking about context today. Now, this is like my favorite thing to talk about all time. I mean, I got a job in doing this because I love to talk about the Bible. And the joke was, is that uh, Jess and I were talking about this. Uh, the challenge for me is not uh, the content and what to say. The challenge for me is, do I know how to edit because we would be here all day if it was just a free-for-all for me to talk about the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible. I love this conversation. So luckily, luckily for you, we do two, two services. Uh, so we do have a second service happening. So I have to end at some point. Uh, and the second service, I actually have a meeting at noon, so I got to end that one. But uh, we will get through this. And I, and I want to challenge you. This is, this is one of those sermons like you don't turn your brain off, okay? Because we got to use our hands heads here this morning. Uh, and I love this quote. This quote's from Dan Kimball. He says this about the Bible. He says, the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And that's an important distinction for us to understand, especially when we're wrestling with context. You see, the Bible wasn't written to you. It was written to a group of people you know, a long time ago in their culture and their context and their situations. And so when we read the Bible, we have to remember that. We have to honor that, actually. We have to honor the fact that it wasn't written to me uh, directly, but God used this to help me. It was written for me. That's an important distinction as we go through this conversation um, about the Bible. We're going to come back to this idea when we're thinking about context. Now, I, again, love the Bible, and I think it's so fascinating. When you think of the Bible, it was written on three different continents in three different languages. Uh, there were over 40 different authors, uh, 66 different writings spanning hundreds of years in separation. There were authors that didn't even know other authors even existed or what they were going to do or how it was going to work. It, it was, it's a long time in the making. It is an amazing piece of work, of literature. How many of you seen uh, this graph up here before? Raise your hand if you've seen this graph before. A few of you have. It's gone make the rounds of social media. What this is, is this is a graph of the Bible and all of the cross-references that exist in the Bible. A cross-reference is a lot like a, a hyperlink. If you're on a web page, you see a hyperlink that takes you somewhere else, and then that link takes you somewhere else. This is hyperlinks in the Bible. So the bottom portion of, of your, this graph here, all these bars, those are all the books of the Bible. And then all the books of the Bible broken about how many chapters there are uh, in verses. And so you can see the longest line there right in the center. That's uh, Psalm 119. It has the most verses uh, in, in all of our Bible. 
Bible, so the longest one, so you can see it. And then this rainbow effect here, are all of the hyperlinks inside of your Bible, referencing, this is 66 different writings, over hundreds of years of writing, 40 different, uh, over 40 different authors. Um, you can't make this stuff up. It is the most incredible writing to ever exist in human history. And there'll, there'll never be another thing quite like what you have. And what's brilliant about all of this is how it all is unified, pointing towards Jesus. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, you may not be as excited as I am, and that's okay. Maybe it's okay. I think you should be excited. I, I think it's cool. But maybe, and I understand, and I want to recognize for a second why maybe we don't get as excited as the Bible um, uh, as, as maybe we would like to. There, there are some real genuine reasons why, and I want to acknowledge those this morning. I want to talk about that. The first reason I think that we don't get excited about the Bible is that uh, we don't know what we're reading. We don't know what we're reading. Right? So, so we open the Bible and we're like, what is this? What, what is this thing that I have? Who are these people? What is the, the, the words that, that don't make sense to me? I don't know how they apply. We, we just don't know what we're reading. I'm going to help you with that this morning. I'm going to provide some resources for you that are going to help you uh, know what you're reading or at least know where you're at when you're reading. Um, so we've got some resources coming that way. Another thing um, that, that we struggle with is we don't know where to start. All right, we don't know where to start sometimes. It's like, uh, do I start like a traditional book? Do I start at the beginning in Genesis? And then it's like, okay, uh, you know, I find these like read, a Bible, you know, read the Bible in a year program. And, you know, and so I start there, but four months into it, I, I give up because it's way hard, right? I'm into these law codes and I don't understand them and they're weird. And so it's not as life-giving as like Genesis is, you know, all mainly narrative and poems. And so that's easy to grasp. And so we just, we don't know where to start. Do we start in the New Testament? Do we start in the Old Testament? Do we start in the middle? Do we start in the end? Do we start at the beginning? Where do we start? And so that's frustrating. And so we, we put it down. Another reason is we feel guilty we don't read it enough. We feel guilty, right? Somewhere along the way, you, we are told that this thing, you know, needs to be a part of our everyday life and, and we should be into it and we're just not. And then we miss a couple days and we have kids and we have spouses and we have jobs. And then that, you know, it's the last thing on our mind and we're tired at the end of the day or we slept in or whatever, all the, the things that come up that life happens, right? Life happens. And so we, we don't read it. And then it's like a week goes by and then two Two weeks go by and then three weeks and then we're not motivated at all because we don't remember where we were at before and it's just we lose that kind of intentionality and and so we feel guilty we don't read it enough and sometimes we just stop reading because we're tired of feeling guilty every time we pick it up that happens sometimes there's only a few parts that make any sense to us Right? That's another reason why we don't read the Bible is we're not excited about it is because there's only a few things like the Jesus stuff, like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I get that. But then we like, we open up in Samuel and, and we read about this dude, you know, he's cutting foreskins off and giving it to his boss as a gift. And we're like, wow, right? Sorry for the, the rating there, but it is in the Bible. And so, okay, uh, explain that one later. Sorry, online, if you're watching. Um, and you got kids in the room. Uh, Mommy, what is, no, okay. So, but it's there. It's there. We got to, like, what? and so we're going, what is this? Like, what, we, we, you know, so it's hard. 
right? It's hard. Or we read things like uh, the Joshua conquest. And we're like, okay, wait a minute. Why, why is God permitting genocide? Is that, is that what I'm reading? Or we read about slavery and we're going, wait, wait, what's going on with this? Is this? So it's hard. And so we get into these, these things where it's like only a few parts make sense. So we close it because it's like, it's just, it's just too hard, right? Did anybody, I've been like that. Anybody like that? Okay, a few of you, thank you, all right, being willing to be honest, right? It's hard. It's okay. It's okay to admit that. Um, if there were a scale of us this morning, there might be some of in this room that are like, I love reading the Bible, and I'm a Bible nerd, card-carrying Bible nerd, and I love it, and I'm good, and I'm in it all the time, and, and that's one side of the room, um, which is like, you know, a small percent, like 2% of people, and then there's like the rest of us that are like, you know, life is busy, it's, uh, I don't understand what I'm doing. I try, I do some devotions here and there, but I get lost in what's going on. Um, I wanna bring us together a little bit and, um, and help us uh, fall in love with the Bible. You see, when um, I became a Christian, uh, I was 15 years old, uh, and I started reading the Bible like, like crazy. And I'm not a reader. I did not go, I'm not like a, a, a book nerd at all. And so for me to just read and absorb the Bible, it was just this thing that I craved and I wanted to know about. And so I read it all the time. And I don't like read outside of like the Bible and, and books about the Bible, books about the Bible. I, I typically don't read and, and cause that's all I want to read about. Um, um, but I, but I just started absorbing and reading all the time. And all of the information that I got about the Bible came from typically like this. I would be in church and the pastor would share the sermon and he would use the verse to make his point. And then I would like, Oh, okay. And I would go home and read it myself and try to remember it and learn it. Like that's how I onboarded content in the Bible. But it wasn't until, um, much later in my journey that I really took a step in my faith and growing in the Bible. I attended a conference uh, in 2010. It was RZIM Summer Institute. This was a conference not for pastors, but for like scholars and Bible nerds. And I found out about it and I wanted to grow my faith. So I attended this week-long conference. It was in Chicago, Illinois, Wheaton uh, University, Wheaton College in Chicago. And the whole week I sat under some of the most brilliant minds um, out there. I got to sit under a guy named Dr. John Lennox out of Cambridge University. Uh, you can YouTube him. Uh, he's a brilliant scholar. And every morning he would unpack for us in our morning devotions, uh, the Gospel Luke. And I had never heard someone unpack information out of Luke. It was typically like the, the, the content that I had about the Bible was all about like how it was like a self-help book, right? It was about, oh, I'm having a bad day. What, can I, what verse can I read to help me not have a bad day? That's how I approached the Bible. But I learned under people like John Lennox. I learned under uh, one of my favorite ancient historians, John Dixon out of Sydney. Um, but he actually is now a professor at Wheaton College. Um, uh, I got to hear from him. I got to listen to Mike Lacona, who uh, wrote one of the, the most um, um, widely accepted scholarly work on the resurrection of Jesus uh, and um, just listen to him unpack the text. I mean, it just blew my mind that the Bible was much bigger than the, than the paradigms I had put it in, the, the categories I had for the Bible. It, it just exploded my brain and I've, I've never been the same. And so I'm going to help hopefully explode some of your brains just a little bit this morning so that we can take next steps in learning to love the Bible. Are you with me? 
All right, awesome. Hey, uh, I got a graph I want to show you. I made this graph. This is a Bible overview. This is a Bible overview. Now, there's lots of Bible overviews out there, um, and there's probably some much better than the one I'm going to give you, but this is the one I created as I have gone through over 30 years of studying the Bible. This is the best way that I can help think about what is the Bible and how should I understand it. Now, this, this graph that I'm going to show you that I made is not a graph about necessarily um, certain uh, content ideas, but, but it's more thematic. Um, it's about the themes of the Bible. And so this is what it looks like. And I've provided a QR code. Over the next few slides, there's going to be a QR code. This is a resource for you. So if you wanted to scan that code, um, and it should be in your sermon notes too. If you were to scan that with the phone, you can actually download this graph for yourself. You can print it out. You can keep it for yourself. Because I'm not going to read all the text in there. I'm just going to kind of generally go over this with you. There are basically nine themes that make up your Bible, divided into three acts. Think of a play, three acts. So if we're trying to understand and we go, I don't know where to start or what, what's happening when I read my Bible, this might be a helpful resource to you because wherever you open up, you can understand what theme you're in and what's happening in the overall narrative of the Bible. And so uh, the three acts work like this. Act one is uh, the beginning, the fall, the promise, the beginning, the fall, the promise. Now you'll notice that these acts, these chapters in these acts aren't about length, right? So the beginning is two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2. And you could spend years of your life unpacking Genesis 1 and 2, but this is all about the beginning. This is about God, the humans, the good creation, the way it was supposed to be. And it's only two chapters because how long does the good times last, right? <laughs> You turn the page, right? Then last long, and we move to the fall, right? And what's happening here is that the humans choose to listen to the voice of the serpent versus the instructions from God, and that results in a spiraling down of sin, a cascading effect of sin and brokenness into our world, and violence is introduced to the world. And this lasts all the way, Genesis chapter uh, 3 through ch uh, chapter 11. Uh, and then we get to the promise. God uh, steps into history and he chooses a human and his family to be the representation of, of God's way on God's earth. And so he makes a promise to uh, this human that, hey, through your family, I'm going to bless the rest of the world. And this is how we're going to get this, 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 uh, this tragedy back on track is through this family. So that's act one. And so anytime you open up in those chapters, you know where you're at and you can work through that. Then you have act two. This is the, the part of the Bible, uh, a big portion of the Bible that we often don't like reading, but, but it's powerful. You have the law, you have the uh, introduction of instructions. I would have used the instructions, but it didn't fit nicely in my you know, box. And, and so I used the word law, same thing. God gives instructions. Uh, okay, the, the people that was once a family is now becoming a nation. And they need to learn, they need to have the instructions of how they're going to be God's people on God's earth. This is what you need to do to be God's people on God's earth. And do they do that well? No, not, not really. Uh, they do it very poorly. They continue to um, ignore God's way. They continue to ignore God's um, uh, instructions. And it leads them to a place where they decide it's too hard to do this on our own. We want a king. We want someone to lead us that will help us actually do this better. And so then we have the rule. And this is all about the kingship that's introduced. God didn't want it this way. 
But they chose it anyway, and God gave it, gave it to them. And so they, they, they choose a king, Saul. That didn't work out too well. God says, all right, I'm going to punt you over this guy named David. Uh, and it starts out, and some of the kings are good. Some of them do some, some good things. Um, and, uh, but then it slowly gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And what happens is that these leaders, that, that they, have, they wanted to appoint these leaders to help them be God's people, but these leaders actually lead them further and further and further into, uh, and away, into sin and away from God to the point that we have uh, the next chapter, the loss. And this is them, uh, the, the people of God actually get booted from the promised land because they continue to, to ignore God's instructions and ignore, ignore God's warnings. And they get, they get removed from the land that God had promised them and had given them. Uh, they eventually return in, in this, but they return a shell of their, their former selves. They're no longer this, this great nation. In fact, only a portion of the people even return back uh, to the land to, uh, to rebuild the temple. It's a, it's a tragedy, this loss. And what happens is at the end of this act, we're left wondering and wanting. And, and the end of the, uh, the Old Testament leaves us going, is there any hope? Is there any leader that's going to come? Is there anyone that this, this promise anointed one that's going to come and help us, help us reclaim who we were supposed to be and, and what God has for us? And, and that's where the Old Testament leaves us is going, is anyone? Is, it, is there anyone? Is God going to send anyone? Well, we have Act 3 to help us with that. And so Act 3 comes onto the scene, and we're introduced to this guy named Jesus. And, and so now you have the image. The image, I use that word image, is because Jesus is the perfect image of the Creator, reflecting God's glory onto this earth through himself. And so he is the one that we model after. He is the one that we look to. Instead of the, the instructions, now we look to a person, and his name is Jesus. And so he comes, and he introduces this upside-down kingdom, this way of living that, that uh, of of how they're going to be God's people on God's earth. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And so he comes, he claims that title for themselves. They don't like it. The people don't like it. They kill him off, right? Uh, he resurrects, and then he sends the people out to be his images, reflecting the glory and life of Jesus into this world, and he empowers them with the Spirit. Then we have the way. The way. This is, this is the way we are to be. This is about the churches. This is about us. This is about us learning how to be images of Jesus. This is about us learning to live in God's kingdom and his way and his rule and his reign on this earth. This is how we live this out. So we have a lot of letters to, to churches about how to do this. And then it ultimately leads us to the return, which is our ultimate hope is in a new heavens and new earth. And this is uh, Revelation chapter 21, where God promises to finally do away with sickness and death and mourning and tears and sorrow and all the things that we long for and all the justices that we hope for. God finally puts to right in his return and returns this back to the beginning. That's the Bible in a nutshell. Now, I hope that this resource is helpful to you because this is something that you can download. Again, we've made it available for you that you can use. So anytime you open up the Bible, you can ask the question, where am I at? What are the themes that are happening right now that I should be aware of when I'm reading this? What's going on? What should I be thinking about in the back of my head? So maybe this is helpful to you. It's been helpful for me. Uh, you have different key characters. You have key verses uh, that help you work through this. This is something you can print out, uh, keep in your Bibles, whatever you'd like to do with it, provide that resource to you. Um, and so what I'd like to do, now that we have this baseline, I want to do an exercise with you. Um, I'd like us to uh, do an exercise of how to read the Bible using our mind. We're going to do it together. 
right here. We're going to do a live exercise together, and then we're going to go back and go see, see what we did there, right? And so this is a, this is a way for us to practice this morning um, uh, what, what we're talking about. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now, when we open up our Bibles and we just plant ourselves in an area, the first questions we got to ask ourselves is, where are we? Where are we, right? I mean, open it up. Uh, here's Romans 12. Where am I? Well, if we go back to our graph, we are at the part of the Bible. It's the way. We're learning about the church. We're learning about uh, um, how the people that choose to follow Jesus need to live this out. And so that's what I need to be thinking about as I approach this. We are in uh, Rome. Uh, a lot of your Bibles, if you have a study Bible, some, uh, there's usually uh, little helpful hints in there. There's like uh, uh, book overviews that will help you out out that you can read. Uh, there's all sorts of like little uh, uh, things in your Bibles to help you along with this. But you need to be asking these questions. You know, where, where am I? You know, what, wh where am I in the, in the story? Um, and uh, if we were to answer this question, you know, we are, uh, we are in the first century. Jesus is gone, right? He's gone to be with the Father, but he's left us the Holy Spirit. We're in Rome, the letter to Romans, we're, we're in Rome uh, in the first century. The, the Roman Empire rules the world. Uh, they're in charge. They're the big empire at which the gospel sits uh, um, against that empire. And so here we are in Rome in the first century. And apparently uh, some, some churches need some help. All right, so, so he writes this letter because the churches in Rome, uh, and there were approximately, some scholars say there were probably 10 churches in Rome at this time, and they're struggling, and they need some help. So uh, this is written. Who, who's writing? Who's writing? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he tells us, Paul, Paul. So I go, oh, okay, this guy named Paul, right? And you can learn a lot about Paul. He, he did a lot of things in the writings in the New Testament. Um, but at the baseline, it's just this guy named Paul is helping these churches figure out how to be good images of Jesus. Um, why? Why would Paul be writing this letter? Um, well, again, he, you can just do the basic of he's writing this to help them understand how to live God's way on God's earth. But even more than that, we can spend some time and learning a little bit more behind this. Why was this important? Well, in roughly 41 uh, CE, uh, Emperor Claudius, who was the emperor of Rome at this time, kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Now, this is dated both biblically, we have this recorded in Acts, but also in non-biblical sources. We know this to be true. The Emperor Claudius was frustrated at the Jewish people because there was a lot of fighting going on, a lot of like uh, bickering and arguing going on. And some scholars um, think of this in two ways. We really don't know what the, the, the point of contention was that caused him to kick him out. We just know that he expelled them all for five years. They couldn't even live in Rome any longer. So some scholars speculate that it could have been one of, of two things. One, it could have been um, uh, faithful uh, Jewish people struggling with um, Jews who were now choosing to, to, to follow Jesus as their Messiah, and there was some conflict there that was fighting, and so they, th that's why they kicked him out. Um, the, the other side of it is that there were Jewish um, uh, followers of Jesus choosing to, to choose Jesus as their Messiah, and all of a sudden, a new uh, group of people called Gentiles. These are Roman citizens. They are non- 
uh, Jewish people uh, and they're choosing to follow Jesus the Messiah and there was conflict there and that caused him to kick him out. Now, um, whatever the reason, all Claudius knew, Emperor Claudius, is that these, these Jewish people were causing commotion. He didn't understand the nuance of the different ways of thought, but so he just kicked them all out. And so for five years, they were expelled out of Rome. Well, during that five years, all the Gentiles, all the Roman citizens that were non-Jewish people um, choosing to follow Jesus continued to do church. They're like, well, we're not going to stop. So they just kept doing church like normal. And they kind of took over and they started doing the thing for five years. They were, they were just continuing on like nothing ever happened. Well, after the Jews were allowed to come back in, Claudius lifted the ban and they were able to move back in. Um, the people that were expelled out of um, Rome at this time, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were two of those people that you read about in Acts that talked about how they were able to come back. They found all of the Gentiles just doing church without them. And it caused a lot of frustration because they came in going, go, you guys are doing it wrong. You guys can't eat that food. That's, that's not the right food to be eating. You need to be circumcised. If you're not following our traditions, we, we were given instructions about how to do this. And you guys aren't doing that anymore. You need to do that. If you're gonna follow the one true God and you believe that's in Jesus, you gotta do it the way that we've always done it. And so all of a sudden, all this conflict begins to happen. And that's why Paul writes to them. Here's the thing you need to, this is, this is one of the biggest points I believe here in Romans as we dive into this. Paul has these two warring factions coming at each other, the Gentiles and the Jews, button heads. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. They're like, well, we're not going to do it that way. Paul said I didn't have to do it that way. So why are you making me, you know, and they're fighting each other. What Paul never does in this letter, not once does Paul say, okay, Gentiles, you go over here and you just do it your way. Jews, you go over here and you do it your way. Think about that for a second. They had sharp disagreements about how to live out faithfully the way of Jesus. And Paul never said, well, you go live Jesus your way over here. You go live Jesus your way over here. He says, no, you need to figure this out. Biblical unity how many times do we see people going, well, I'm just out here, I didn't, like, I didn't like that, or I didn't like this. And that doesn't mean that those things aren't valid or very real in your heart and mind. Don't, I'm not minimizing your point of view. I'm just saying, Paul never said, if you have a disagreement and a point of view, go find a different church. You hear me? Romans, he said, work it out. Figure it out. Love each other. Lay down your life for each other. Right? So this is what he's doing here. He's saying, we got to figure out unity. We got to figure this out, guys. And so he spends the first part of the book. What's going on? He spends the first part of the, the book talking to the Gentiles. So he's writing to the Gentiles. Um, uh, uh, scholars uh, know that when letters were delivered to churches, like this in Rome, Paul wasn't there. He sent the letter off, that someone would perform the letter. Someone would stand in front of the group of people and they would perform it. Some even think that they would even act out parts of, of the letters. Um, uh, but they, someone would perform it. So you can imagine the person that was given the letter to perform the letter. They're standing in front of the group much like this. And at the letter, the first part of the letter, first chapters of the, the, the letter, I'm going Gentiles. You know, you can imagine there's two sides, Gentiles and then Jews, and they're kind of mad at each other. And he goes, Gentiles, 
and he addresses them. And then the next part of the letter, he goes into the Jews and says, Jews, now you got to figure this out. And so he's addressing both groups. And then you get to chapter 12, and it's as if the letter changes to go, now I'm going to talk to all of you at once as one unified body. And so he makes this transition in his writing. And the first verse in the transition, he talks about how we ought to uh, lay down our lives, as, uh, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The first thing that he says is that if we are to find unity in this group of people, you have to stop living for self and sacrifice yourself to God. That's your act of worship. When you lay down, when everyone is orienting their lives towards God, we can make a way forward. But the moment I choose self, that's when disunity happens, right? And if I were to hyperlink back in the Bible, I would go to Genesis chapter three, when the first humans chose self over the way of God, and it caused destruction and separation, right? So that's where we're at. Now we're gonna land in, Two, y'all with me? We're going to do something fun on this one. All right. Here we go. All right. We ready for it? Hit it over. We should be good to go here. Ah, look what we got up on here. You guys didn't know you were going to go to school today, did you? We're going to break down two. So the first thing that we did is we asked a lot of questions when we read the Bible. We asked a lot of questions. What's going on? Who is this? Why is this? Where, is the, where am I at? What's going on? You know, all these things. Then the next thing is when we land into a verse that jumps out at us, you should stop. You should stop and move slowly. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this. Do not, be con uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Remember, he's talking to the whole group. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you notice a couple things in here? When we look at this, the first thing we see, or at least I see, is there seems to be three sections, right? So we have this, do not conform to the world, right? We have a, um, be transformed, renewing of your mind. And then we seem to see this last section here. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. So all of a sudden now I see, I see three things at work in here. And as I begin to reverse engineer this and think about it, I ask this question. I look at this. God's will. Right? God's will. What does that look like for me? God's will. We ask that question a lot, right? What does God want for me? And what this is, is, is talking about, I'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, what God's desire, right? So this will is desire, what God desires for me. And so here's the thing is Paul's giving me uh, some insight here. He's saying, do you ever wish that when you are left with options, you can, you can figure out which option to take? That will, that will, you know, lead towards God's good desire and will for our lives. And we all go, yeah, yeah, I wish I knew how to make those decisions, right? So it's a very human thing right out of the gate. We go, yeah, I wish I could do that, right? So then what, what do we need to do? Well, then we see here this word transformed. This word transform is, is the word transfigure, uh, transformation, morphing. So there's an element of something needs to change in me. If I want to be able to, when I look at the options to test and approve what God's will is, 
Something needs to transform in me. The renewing, which is to, you know, make new here. You love my writing? It's so embarrassing. Uh, renew, make new, and we look at our mind. That word mind there in the Greek literally means intellect. Now, notice what Paul doesn't say. Be transformed by warm feelings towards God. Be transformed by passionate worship. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to minimize that those aren't important things. I'm just saying this is what he didn't say. Be transformed by regular church attendance. Be transformed by renewing, making your mind new. And so I have these options set in front of me. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. This word uh, pattern, as I spell fashion, I think. Fashion. Fashion. This is this idea of clothing. The, 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 don't conform to the fashion, the pattern, the thing I put on, the clothing I wear. So he's telling this audience here, you, you should not be modeling or wearing the clothing of this world, the fashion. You shouldn't look like this world. But you need to be transformed. What we see here is Paul urging us to reconsider where our priorities and values are. Because if our decision-making about life looks more like this culture in this world than God, we've got issues. And Paul says you shouldn't wear, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have the pattern of this world on you. You should look different. Well, how? Right? And then we can come back through this. How do I do that? You need to renew your mind, you, your intellect, your growth. You need to learn. You need to grow. And, this, and, and the reality is this is how we make decisions, isn't it? Right? The things that matter in our life start in our head. What I believe about the world informs how I act and interact around and in it. The things that I'm passionate about are only passionate to me because of the way I think about those things. Right? This is the conflict in, in, in any marriage, right? Like, why doesn't this matter to you? You know, it's like, well, because I don't think of it like you think of it. You know, why doesn't the sport team matter to you? I wish it did, you know, because I don't care. I don't, I don't have the mind that you have in this area. I don't care, right? So, of course, I'm, I'm not going to be passionate about it. Like, so this, this, this transformation begins with how you think, right? How do you think? about things. If you want to be less judgmental towards people, how do you think about people? How do you see them? Do you see them as other or as images of the creator? How do you think? Your mind. And so what should transform our minds? The things in the way of Jesus. And then when we're living our lives, if our mind's being renewed and we have to make a decision of what God desires for us, his will, this or this, what should I do? The challenge is, are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind? When we get to a place like this, we spend time, we stop, we slow down, and we begin to unpack it. What's happening here? What's happening here? 
What does this mean? What's happening? You know, break it down into sections, right? In your margins, the, the, you know, do devotions around it. We can move on on the slides now. According to Paul, developing a Christian mind is part of the very essence of discipleship in Jesus. Developing a Christian mind, the way that you see the world. Now, I'm going to share a quote with you. And this is going to be a hard quote for you to hear, for some of you, maybe not all of you. This ain't an easy quote to share, okay? Um, it's by a guy named J.P. Moreland. He wrote a book, a fascinating book called Love the Lord Your God with All Your Mind. I encourage you to uh, Amazon it. It'll be a challenging book. Um, but this is what he says, and I think it's applicable here this morning. He says this. Many people have become bored with the Bible precisely because their overall intellectual growth is stagnant. They cannot get new insights from Scripture because they bring the same old categories to Bible study and look to validate their old habits of thought. You know, if the only time that you engage with God's Word is through a sermon like this, and all you do is think about God the way you've always thought about God, you probably have a very small God. The moment we figure out God, we have a very small God. And this is God's word. Not written to me, but written for me. And we need to challenge ourselves that are you just picking up the Bible to validate what you already think and know? Using it as ammunition against others because you think you have it figured out. Or are you willing to open the Bible with a curious heart and mind, saying to yourself, God, I'm open to whatever you have for me. Speak to me. Because you see, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, I love this verse. The Word of God is alive and active. If the reader said the Word of God is stale and stagnant, (laughs) then maybe we can figure it all out. But this is meditation literature that's alive and gives us fresh insight. It it, it challenges us to grow. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We need to be curious about the Bible when we open it. We need to be challenged, God, what are you saying to me here? So how do we do this? This is our wrap-up. How do we do this? Well, we just went through it. How to read the Bible using your mind? You ask a lot of questions. Well, Joe, yeah, that's some of the reasons why I put it down. I'm asking too many questions. No, I get it. And just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. Just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. And the challenge is if you truly are curious and you desire what God has for you and want to know more, you're going to spend time learning and figuring it out. But you've got to ask questions. Who, what, why, when, where, how, all these things. What's going on? Why is it going on? Who said it? Why'd they say it? All these things. You need to ask questions. In our home group, one of the things that we do is we read the Bible together and we all read it out loud and then we spend a minute or two reading it on our own again and then we spend probably 15, 20 minutes going, okay, how many questions do you have? 
and we'll just spend like 15, and it's not for me to answer. It's not like Bible answer, man. It's just going, this is an exercise of learning to be curious. And if you don't know how to ask questions when you read the Bible, you're missing out. So you got to ask questions. Next thing you got to do is you got to read slowly. Right? Read slowly. When you get to a, a, poor, a, a part in the Bible that, that stands out to you, stop. Read it again, read it again, read it again. Can I, this, is a, this might be a newsflash for some of you, but when you meet Jesus, he's not going to look at you and go, yeah, but did you read it all? <laughs> no, he's not going to do that. There's no prize at the end, guys. Right? Like, I understand read the Bible in a year stuff. If you've not read the whole Bible, maybe do it. But outside of that, take your time. Take your time. Go slowly. Don't feel like you have to move on so quick. One of the reasons I don't like Bible, read the Bible in a year, and again, I sound like I'm bashing it. Maybe I am a little bit. But because I think it discourages people. Because if you don't hit that checklist, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's like, okay, I got these... 10 things I got to read today. And if I don't, then I'm behind and I got to catch up and then I'm three by, and then I'll oh, forget it. I'm just out. And it's like, man, we're doing a dis. The Bible was not a race to be won. Take your time. I give you permission. Read slowly. Don't move on unless you're ready to move on. And lastly, I'd encourage you with this. Read with others. Read with others. The Bible was not written to be read alone. You realize that? This idea of privatized um, Bible study is a new invention in history. Thousands of years, we never even had this, right? The printing press. And even after the printing press, people didn't have Bibles in there. Like the Bible was meant to be read aloud and in the company of people. It was written to be read with people. Get in a group. Read it with others so you can hear new ideas, fresh insights, different points of view, perspectives, backgrounds of people that influence the way that we approach the text. You need difference. You realize that? You need different people. This idea in our culture today that it's all about like you're in this camp or you're in this camp is not biblical. And all we've been doing is separating in our culture. And God says, no. You need people in your life that see the Bible differently than you. To challenge you, to help you grow, to walk in your faith, to mature in your faith. You need difference. So read with others. And not just the same people that, that see the world like you do. Find people that see the world different and engage with them. Right? Read with others. As we close uh, and prepare for communion, I have some resources for you that I want to share. <clears throat> because I talked a lot. I gave a lot of background. Some of the stuff's like, well, I, there's no way I would have known that, Joe. And, you know, how am I supposed to know these things? So I have a, a few resources for you I want to help you out with. Um, for those, uh, what do I do with the hard stuff in the Bible? What do I do with the hard stuff in the Bible? Uh, there's a great book, How Not to Read the Bible. Dan Kimball. Uh, it's a very approachable book, right? It's not, an acade it's not written academically, but it, it tackles very, uh, uh, very sophisticated um, uh, ways of approaching things like slavery in the Bible, things like the Joshua conquest, the hard stuff in the Bible that we read about. What do we do with that? This is a great resource to, um, to check out and read. Again, it's approachable. It's easy. Uh, for those of you, what if I really want to get technical and learn a lot, right? So the 3% the of you in the room that that are, that are nerds and you want to take that next step, this is a great resource, Grasping God's Work. 
Um, um, it'll be a great introduction to help you go deeper probably than you even thought need, you needed to go. Uh, what if I just need a little help understanding the basic ideas in the Bible? Uh, Bible Project is a great resource. They make videos, uh, resources to help you understand. They have Bible o- book overviews. Uh, anytime you're going to start reading a book, check out the Bible Project. Watch their videos. Um, you know, if you're not a reader, it's also a great resource because they have a podcast you can listen to and they have video resources. Uh, but, it, but it's going to be high level, you know, to some degree. Um, what if I struggle to trust the Bible, the, what the Bible we have today is, is trustworthy. So um, for those of you that are going, look, Joe, um, the Bible uh, was changed. There's contradictions. There was human authors. And so it's, it's messy and I don't trust it. Can we trust the Bible that we have today? Greg Blomberg, uh, uh, theologian, um, wrote a great work uh, that I encourage you to check out there on the screen. Um, and that'll be a great resource for you to help, help you overcome those obstacles of your, you know, if you're going like, I don't even know if I can trust this thing. This is a great piece of literature to help you with that. Remember, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. We need to um, ask a lot of questions when we read the Bible with our minds. We need to read slowly so we can let it penetrate our hearts and we can work through it. And we need to read with others. Are you with me this morning? Amen. We're going to take communion. Uh, Our ushers are going to come on up. If you did not grab communion, um, you can raise your hand. Uh, They'll get you uh, communion. And as we prepare to take communion, we're going to take a few minutes just to reflect and consider what we've heard today. And maybe you can talk to God for a little bit about where you're at with the Bible. And just be honest with them, right? Like God, uh, reading the Bible doesn't excite me. And God, um, I don't like what I read when I read the Bible. So I put it down. Would you be willing to be honest with God? And then would you ask God, God, help me overcome those obstacles and find a love and a curiosity in your word once again. Let's take some time to reflect on that this morning.